0: Welcome to Ask the Chief Information Officer on Federal News Network. Now your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Gundeep Alwalia, the Chief Information Officer at the Labor Department. Gundeep, always a pleasure to catch up with you. Thanks for taking the time.
1: It is always a pleasure to be here, uh, Jason, uh, especially as the CIO. It's one of my favorite programs, uh, uh, so happy to be here.
0: Well, flattery will get you everywhere in our discussion today, so let's start <laughs> there. One of the interesting things about what we've seen over the last couple of years is obviously the move towards hybrid remote workforce. We know the labor department, you and I have talked over, over time and, and how much progress you have made. Let's start with that, that basic. Here we are three years into the pandemic. Uh, we know that, that the workforce has changed. What does this mean for your office? How are you supporting the technology of today and, and how has that support really evolved over the last few years?
1: Running an IT program that touches so many people. And we have 600 plus locations uh, across the nation uh, uh, for the Department of Labor, right? So not only are we touching millions and millions of Americans and employers, but we have uh, internal folks as well. We have always tried to do employer ex- keep ex- employer experience and customer experience at the top of our list, right? The second thing I would say, Jason, is we have been running a marathon for a long time. We were actually preparing for the pandemic, not knowing that it is coming. We set up distribution centers across the nation for laptop delivery. We had 6% laptops in uh, our spare pool when the pandemic hit. We had taken Windows 10 as a productivity upgrade rather than an operating system upgrade. What did we do? We had implemented OneDrive. We had implemented digital signatures, by the way, Now everybody's performance plan uh, is being signed digitally. I'm so ecstatic about it, right? Whereas everybody was signing uh, pieces of paper in the past. All of that was baked into the operating system upgrade when we went to Windows 10. So we reaped the benefits of all of these things. A quarter of the uh, uh, the workforce of Department of Labor, uh, Jason, has been onboarded virtually during the pandemic. In the last three years, We have cycled through and hired new people. About 20 to 25% of our workforce has gone through totally virtual uh, onboarding. So OCIO was actually running this marathon uh, from a long, long time, right? We had the VPN capacity. We had moved 80 applications to the cloud. We had made sure that productivity, you have the same level of productivity on the go on your mobile phone as you have on your desktop, uh, et cetera, right? I was just, uh, we, we, we just had a power event in my home at the beginning of this. And I was thinking, I could easily do this on my phone, my Department of Labor phone, right? So that's the level of investment that the Department of Labor had already made in, in our applications and primarily focused at our employees so that they can deliver the mission and the customer experiences and the American people so deserve. So I'm I'm a little bit proud. And uh, to be honest with you, Jason, some of the conversations inside the department have changed because of the pandemic. As horrible as the pandemic was, I believe uh, it brought ten years worth of transform cultural change and transformation, which drove technology adoption that it has never done uh, that has never happened in the past. Right. So. Now the conversations are different. They, people, have, people had no, um, it was only investment in, in IT, investment in IT, but during COVID, they reaped the benefits. They all went remote without any problems at the Department of Labor. Other departments uh, who, were, who had to run a sprint uh, had a problem, but we did very well because we were always running it as a, as a marathon. And I am incredibly proud to the vendor community that helped us over the years and uh, my fellow federal uh, employees
0: as well. It's impressive, AD apps to the cloud. You talked about the VPN upgrade. You talked about the same level of productivity on mobile phone as you do a desktop. That is something that you all have been working on. As you said, you were planning for the pandemic before you knew it was coming. Was this driven by the workforce saying, hey, we need to be more mobile. We need to have these these opportunities to do work where we are versus wherever we want to be versus the office. Because I remember you told stories of never, several years ago about you. you had, there was no Wi-Fi in the building and that was like your first thing. And and, and again, building on that, that request from the, the workforce.
1: You, you absolutely uh, remember it correctly, uh, uh, Jason. I, my daughter actually came to work one time with me, bring your child to work uh, day. And she said, do you have Wi-Fi? And we did not have Wi-Fi. In, at 200 Constitution Avenue in the Francis Perkins building. And she said like, where do you work? What's wrong with you? And from there today, almost all our, our, our uh, locations have uh, Wi-Fi, but more importantly, they have the productivity infrastructure that was needed during COVID as well, right? Even though people did not make use of that Wi-Fi in the building, but they made use of the soft phones associated with unified communication Wi-Fi was being a small package, a small part of it. It has always been driven by the employees and what they are asking for. A large part of our uh, uh, employer base is our investigators and inspectors out there. Whether it's wage and hour, OSHA, uh, EBSA—I mean, these folks are on the road, right? And I saw this five, six years ago. I saw this. They are. At a significant disadvantage when they are at, at the, on the road, right? So the the idea was to invest in that. Not only are they productive, not only do they have the inspection histories at their fingertips, not only are they able to find their way through a latitude longitude because a construction site may not even have an address. So my investigator is lost now, right? So. We invested in all of these technologies uh, in order to bring uh, the employee experience, both the mobile workforce and the workforce uh, in in headquarters or in other uh, offices. The one aspect that I also think is important, and we have been investing over time, and I would like to do more in this area, is accessibility, right? So that's another thing that we are uh, really proud to start driving as something not icing on the cake, but as a part of the cake, right? Uh, one of my colleagues always talks about like, we treat the, some of these things like cybersecurity, uh, uh, privacy, or, or accessibility in many departments as, oh, if we have the money, if we have time at the end, we'll put some icing. Otherwise, we'll have the cake at least, right? And that's not the way we, are, we, are, we at labor have started treating these things, because we are the Department of Labor at the end of the day, right? So uh, um, not only the, the workforce that requires mobile tools and tools at their desktop, but we are, we are trying to address folks who are differently abled and require accessibility as well.
0: And we're coming up on a break, but I just want to talk about that equity experience. How, how do you ensure that, that, that it's an equitable experience for all, no matter what tool you're using? What goes into that discussion? How are you starting to say, okay, how are you bringing in the, the accessibility discussion?
1: This is where we have uh, really baked this into our uh, uh, discussions with uh, program offices, right? So when we are developing applications or we are developing tools, uh, both productivity tools as well as non-digital pathways. Sometimes we are we realize like that there are uh, there are digital pathways required, but then there are non-digital pathways that are required in certain areas. Different screen readers, uh, different type of tools and implements that that are required. All of this has become a part of our product planning and delivery mechanisms, right? So I think that is what has allowed us to stay ahead of the game, right? And then there is a reactionary component as well, right? Where, where you, there are a certain employee need. And then we have mechanisms to hear that, listen to them on a regular basis, either through our uh, service desk or through other mechanisms that we have set up uh, that we respond to them. I think talking about non-digital pathways, uh, I, I, I think you and I talked about how in the unemployment space we want to go into ID proofing for uh, UI claimants uh, through the U.S. Postal Service. I'm pleased to report that uh, we will be going live in February, March with the first few locations of that service in uh, um, the state of Arkansas in collaboration with Arkansas, USPS, and the Department of Labor. And that Press release is going to come. You are, I think, the first to hear about this uh, at this point in time. But we're talking about employee experience and customer experience, right? It's not it can't only be about digital solutions. We have to we baked uh, uh, that experience into the digital solutions as well. But then we are also acutely aware of places where non digital pathways are required as a companion to the digital. Uh, capabilities that we are creating in the Department of Labor.
0: All right. Well, Gundeep, we always appreciate a little bit of breaking news on the show. So uh, uh, there's probably more there to talk about in the future. My guest today is Gundeep Alawalia, the Chief Information Officer at the Labor Department. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO, sponsored by PECSIP on Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO, sponsored by PECSIP on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Gundeep Alawalia, the Chief Information Officer at the Labor Department. Gundeep, last segment, we talked a little bit about the accessibility piece, and you said digital, non-digital. You, you mentioned the, the excitement about ID proofing in Arkansas the, with the USPS, kind of the, the first pilot in that regard. I, I want to also talk about the challenge you have with the new tools versus integration of legacy tools. You have 80 applications in the cloud. So maybe we should start there. How many applications do you currently have? Are you looking to get into the cloud? And, and what do you do with the old ones and how you ensure there's integration?
1: Department of Labor is not unique in in the sense that we had a, a lot of legacy applications in the past. I think what we have done is over the last five years or so, we have slowly depleted that technical debt and moved a lot of our things to the cloud. By the way, we have also closed down more than 80 data centers, right? So we have only a handful of core data centers left and most of our presence is in the cloud. But you're correct, uh, Jason, some of our stuff is in, 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 uh, still stuck to the on-prem area. Uh, so what we've done is we've actually created a hybrid environment between AWS, Azure, as well as our data center, to make sure that it is a seamless environment when data moves through any of these uh, uh, areas, right? So that, that is a architecture that we have created that allows us to modernize in a seamless fashion that is transparent to the users, right? Because we don't want to tax the users with double data entry or going to different areas and, and th- things of that nature. So, so we've created an architecture that is uh, that is seamless. Now we've we've all new projects are in the cloud. We do cloud native at this point in time. Uh, but also, it is important how we have been able to do it a little bit better and different than other uh, departments. It is all about resources at the end of the day. And we have deployed a multi-pronged approach to this. One, we have set up uh, under the Modernizing Government Technology Act, we have the Working Capital Fund right for IT, which allows us to have a little bit of flexibility. By the way, we are also one of the only uh, agencies where or uh, most of IT is consolidated in the CIS shop, and uh, we are not a federated system anymore. Second flexibility is uh, to, to continue to lobby Congress for uh, IT modernization direct appropriations, which also we've been fortunate to get two year appropriations. You know that one year is just not enough to plan enterprise pro- projects and, and, and make changes, right? The third aspect of source, uh, resource that we have gone after is the TMF Fund. We are one of the few departments who has three TMF awards at this point in time. One was for Office of Foreign Labor Certificate for H2A, H1B programs. Second one was on our data analytics to liberate data and expose it externally. And the third one now is on the Permanent Residency Program that also is run uh, through Employment Training Administration. The fourth one I'm extremely proud of is uh, we are the only 24 CFO Act agency that has an expiring fund sweep authority for technology. Now other departments have it for other programs, uh, but I'm not aware of other, any other uh, department having it for IT. And we couple all of these resources. And I am telling you, uh, Jason, we have made a significant dent in, in our technical debt and we are on our way to health uh, because of all of this.
0: The MGT Act and the idea of a working capital fund, uh, I think a lot of agencies keep trying to get congressional approval. You all were lucky enough or or smart enough or skilled enough, whatever uh, adjective we want to use to get it. How much has that really played into this ability to retire some of of this legacy debt and maybe not have to do as much integration between legacy and new and really just focus on new? I think it is pivotal
1: because... I think the budgetary uh, cycles uh, have been very unpredictable, right, for many, many reasons. And for any given project, a large project, whether it's moving uh, to EIS, uh, modernizing your land man infrastructure, implementing 5G, upgrading your laptops, I mean, I can name it, uh, and your application base, which is the true mission application through which we deliver is a multi-year project. I mean, I have yet to see something that we can fix with uh, figure out within within a because these are aircraft carriers. And, and to turn an aircraft carrier, it requires time. And the appropriation comes late to you in the year and is a one-year appropriation. You have two months to spend it all, right? That is where I think it has been so prolific to have the working capital fund, but also the uh, I, our IT mod appropriation, our direct appropriation has been, we've requested to get two-year appropriation. We've had it for the last few years. And then this expiring funds authority also allows you to sweep and bring it into the working capital fund. And the no-year money aspect of it, even though we spend it in one or two years, but it allows you to properly plan. And then let's not forget, the other side of this is we have to work with the business units to come up with requirements, do the testing on all of these things. And they're not sitting around, they're inspecting mines. They're keeping your 401k safe. So this is collateral additional duty for them to come and help us modernize their systems. So you are also hostage to that. The velocity is hostage to that interaction because they don't have indefinite time to come and sit with Gundeep and and, and work on all their systems. So that is why these are multi-year. You have to plan the velocity. You have to take a a transformation only in in the amounts that the two-inch pipe can take. And that is why a working capital fund has been so instrumental in driving that transformation at labor.
0: I love that fact because that was my other question about that expiring fund sweep for technology. It seems like those that get swept into the working capital fund, roughly speaking, I know every year is different. The money always is kind of fluid, but but how much roughly is are you, is usually in that working capital fund? Do More than a million, less than 10 million, any range?
1: So we were capped at 18 million for the first two years of that authority, Jason. We swept less than that because obviously it, we are only... Uh, we are not, whatever is expired. only that can be brought in, right? So uh, we swept less than that. Uh, I don't have the exact numbers off the top of my head. Uh, but then Congress decided, looking at how we have deployed it and our success, Congress decided to double that authority, uh, that cap from 18 million to 36 million last year.
0: I, I really think uh, that your success hopefully will be a model for others. And then Congress can kind of understand the benefits of, of giving folks, CIOs, if you will, some some greater authority that they've kind of already said yes to, just haven't really said yes to, if you will. They're still getting that's their heads my, around that's it. That's my consulting gig, Jason. Exactly. It's not a bad one. <laughs> I want to talk because as we continue down this path and you talk about cloud and getting you know cloud first and, and cloud ready, there's a challenge that every CIO faces, which is this idea of the balance you have to deal with with operational risk. Compliance issues, as well as the ability to make it easy to use and flexible. What approach are you taking through your office to to strike that right balance between risk compliance and and usability? So, I think I think it's a, always a very hard
1: balance, uh, right? Uh, hard to strike balance in between all of these competing priorities, right? You have cybersecurity on one side, you have a lot of operational risks and then uh, you want to modernize systems you want to operate them with uh, 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 the legacy stuff at the same time i think there are a few mechanisms that we have within uh, labor that that allow us to uh, maintain that that balance uh, one is uh, we have a enterprise uh, uh, risk management board that is run out of our CFO shop right we have all the agency leaders and we don't not only dis- discuss IT risks, but we uh, discussed program risks in that as well, because these are all competing for uh, resources uh, uh, together, right? I mean, it's it's not, they're all connected. The other mechanism is uh, we we at OCIO have a joint business planning meeting with every program area every quarter, right? So I look back to, Jason, to my private sector days, and I thought like, hey, how did we stay, how did IT stay in sync with program priorities, CEOs change? And it's the same thing here. So what we do is we talk to the assistant secretary, we present them the, their existing IT portfolio and what their policy priorities are. For example, if MSHA wants to reduce mining de- accident deaths in a particular uh, uh, period, right? how do their, is their, the, their IT investment actually helping that policy outcome or not? That's the kind of discussion we have on a quarterly basis. And then Congress will come up with uh, new laws or change existing laws. So that changes our operational priorities or policy priorities. So that joint business planning meeting allows OCIO to keep the technology uh, investment in sync with the policy priorities, and the outcomes that we are trying to drive for the American people and and, and employers.
0: And Gundeep, we're right about on another break before we jump into the break. And imagine, just real quick, the data piece of this is really what's driving these decisions. Uh, is there any sort of crosswalk slash dashboard, anything you can just kind of give us a little bit of heads up on, then maybe in the next segment we'll jump into a little bit deeper? So we
1: we have invested significantly in our enterprise data uh, platform. Uh, That's what we call the EDP. Uh, We love acronyms. Uh, We create an acronym before we create a capability. Uh, And and that capability is is in the cloud. Uh, And our uh, objective is to aggregate both administrative as well as program data in there. Our slogan in EDP is to convert data into information at the right time deliver it to the right person in a secure manner, right? I think that is where the, the mantra is. When you need, because we're sitting on enormous amounts of data, just like the rest of the federal government, right? But you have to convert it into the right information for decision-making and serve it to the right people at the right time. Cybersecurity and, and privacy not uh, being a big consideration there as well. So that's what we are on a journey for and we strive, we are striving for.
0: All right, I know there's a lot more to talk about cybersecurity, and of course, we'll have to get into zero trust because what conversation with the CIO would not be about if we didn't get into zero trust. But let's take a quick break. When we come back, we'll continue our conversation. My guest today is Gondip Alawalia, the Chief Information Officer at the Labor Department. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO, sponsored by PECSIP on Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO, sponsored by PECSIP on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Gundeep Alawalia, the Chief Information Officer at the Labor Department. Gundeep, before the last uh, the break, there you were talking about the new data platform that you guys are, are rolling out, EDP, as you commonly refer to it, Enterprise Data Platform. Part of the reason that this, I think, is probably working, or you're finding the, the, the getting that ability to get data to the right people at the right time securely is because labor really has done a, a bit on this other journey to move away from a federated approach to acquisition, to HR, to procurement, to, to IT, and really had started to use a center of excellence approach, or at least a, a centralized approach. Is that the reason why that you're now able to kind of convert some of this data and make better decisions more quickly?
1: Yeah, I think it's one of the, the ingredients that was necessary for that approach. We are taking an enterprise approach to data, right? So we are not, and we've created a cloud-based capability to put all of our administrative data in there, but also program data. And I'll give you the example on administrative data. Usually it's very hard to manage who's on what telework agreement, uh, what learning uh, trainings I'm I'm late on. What is the onboarding, et cetera, et cetera. Now, with all of that administrative data in one place, it is easy to say, Kundi I want to know what training he's laid on or how many, what is his performance plan? What is his telework agreement, et cetera, et cetera, which is extremely handy to manage a workforce as as diverse and as large as ours, uh, especially in a remote environment, right? So I think there is that aspect. Then the other aspect of EDP is on the program side. Uh, For instance, we have given, in the unemployment insurance space, we have given uh, uh, grants to various states to get their claimant data to understand what is the state of equity, right, in in different UI ecosystems. And that exists within this EDP as well. And we have modern cloud-based mechanisms to get this data from the states. And now we are conducting analysis using uh, the, the latest and greatest tools uh, to find the insights as to what equity looks like in, in beta cities and how to inform policy, right? I mean, that's the at the end of the day, you need to make policy shifts and all of this data is going to inform uh, uh, that. So something as operational as administrative data is in there, right? But then something as policy focused and wide-ranging in impact like UI equity data is also in there. It is all about data. We realized that, and we've taken an enterprise approach to that. And, and that consolidation helped uh, Jason in, in, a, in a meaningful way.
0: Just to dig a little deeper, let's say on the UI front, or it really could be any of the mission areas, do the folks in the mission areas know how to use the data? Do they know where the data exists? How are you educating them about what the goals are? And then is there a, a systems issue too? Meaning, okay, great, the data exists. How do I use the business intelligence tool? Or how do I use whatever tool you're giving me?
1: So I think it's a cultural journey, right? And I would say we are at the beginning of that journey. The tools are there. So we have Tableau, we have MicroStrategy, we have we have all the all the, all the cloud-based BI tools as well as. Uh, statistical analysis tools, and and all of the the tools are available. But this takes time, right? People need to be trained. People need to understand how to get to the data. People need to be able to uh, develop insights, right? So on that side, we collaborate with our chief data officer, and we have a data board uh, where all these practitioners come on a regular basis, share insights, train each other. So we are building the data capacity. Uh, and the muscle uh, in the department through that mechanism. We are also investing heavily in our open APIs. So we want to take all of the publicly available data out of all of these program areas and throw it through uh, on the the web so that external parties and researchers are able to download these data sets and are able to do things that we may not have the time for, right, and and create insights that, that then are fed back into the labor department or are used externally in, in, in the private sector.
0: The open APIs, I hear so much more and more about that. And, and I think there's a lot of agencies moving towards it. I just did an interview recently with the agriculture department, very similar open APIs everywhere to really pull that data in. Uh, of course, when we talk about data, we got to talk about uh, security because it's great to have all this open data, but if it's insecure, if you lose it, if you have breaches that causes you even a bigger headache, We know the administration is is telling agencies to move toward a zero trust architecture. What's this look like for labor and and how, again, it's about achieving this operational versus security balance.
1: It is a necessity, right? So it's not a question of, do we have to do it? We absolutely have to do it. Uh, I think the challenge is that it does not come with dollars, right? So it did not come with any, any resources with it. So what, what we want to do is to preserve our digital transformation roadmap while implementing the cybersecurity executive order, zero trust being one part of it. So we, we have tried to do a couple of things. One, we have gone to the TMF board to ask for, for a, a little more. We have a detailed idea, uh, a detailed plan as to how we will be implementing, what tool sets, what capacity we will be implementing both on our infrastructure layer as well as our application base, right? So the plan is there now. We are trying to resource it either through the TMF board or other mechanisms. Now, the one thing that we did do this year is we started spending some of our tech refresh money in a different manner, right? So rather than upgrading certain servers, we extended their lives by a year. Uh, They're still supported, right? But we moved that money towards the implementation of zero trust architecture. So unless a clear funding source becomes available from TMF or from Congress directly, we are reluctant to take uh, more money out of our mission areas because that has a downward effect on their mission delivery capacity. But we have removed our resources and we do have a, a, a pretty good plan as to how to get there.
0: The challenge, however, uh, Gundeep is, a lot of people will say is cybersecurity is mission. Mission is cybersecurity. Mm-hmm. So again, there's that operational versus security balance where if you have the best and we'll pick on UI, we know that they've had some, uh, the, during the pandemic, there's a lot of focus on unemployment insurance. If you can add a ZTA infrastructure behind it to really make it, Less susceptible to fraud, as, as an example, that's going to benefit the missionaries. Is that part of the conversations you have consistently with the DEP SEC and the assistant
1: secretaries? 100%. I'm telling you, every joint business planning meeting and our conversations with the deputy secretary have a component. In fact, every other week, I am briefing the deputy secretary on our progress with the zero trust uh, and cybersecurity executive order initiatives, whether it's multi factor authentication or additional logging using uh, Plunk and other tools. So we we do that. I I do want to make sure that folks understand that we don't play that role in the UI space because UI space is a federal state partnership. So the states are the ones there who are providing infrastructure, but we do play that role of providing them guidance. And we certainly play that role for all of our other program areas which are centrally housed
0: within labor. Uh, my apologies didn't want to get confused no, no, around, I, I, around I, I, the role totally you play fine. in ui totally
1: fine
0: so we got again about a minute left in this segment so let me just kind of wrap around from a zero trust perspective from even just the broader cyber security perspective what's on your priority list this year is there something more specific without giving away too much of the farm here that you want to try to accomplish
1: we want to implement certain capabilities within our infrastructure that allows us to move towards a zero-trust architecture, right? I'm not going to name the tool sets because that will that'll jeopardize our, uh, our procurement processes, but that is what we are trying to do. So we will implement a couple of cloud-based capabilities that will allow us to get away from the parameter-based approaches into zero-trust uh, approaches and push security to the to the to the edge
0: i appreciate that i realize there's always sensitivity to say well we don't have this or we're looking to implement that and then all of a sudden you open the door to uh potential bad actors going oh well maybe i could get in through that back door <laughs> so so i do appreciate that uh Gundeep, let's take a quick break when we come back we'll finish up our conversation my guest today is Gundeep alawalia the chief information officer at the labor department i'm jason miller and you're listening to ask the cio sponsored by pexip on federal news network Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO, sponsored by Pexip on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Gundeep Alawalia, the Chief Information Officer at the Labor Department. Now, Gundeep, before break, we're talking a lot about security. We're talking about the applications in the cloud and things of that nature. I want to shift this a little bit because no matter how great the technology is, no matter how much modernization you do, if the people, if the users aren't happy, nothing, none of this really matters. So let's start with, because folks are in that hybrid or remote work environment, what's the approach you're using to understand their needs, to understand what works, what doesn't? What's this feedback mechanism?
1: We have several work groups that were instituted after COVID happened that continuously informs IT and other administrative services as to what the hybrid environment needs and what are the changes we need to make. I will tell you that it has, it is, when we went into the pandemic, we were all using Skype and mostly it was the Verizon or, or other uh, telecom lines, right? Where the leader has not put in the code and you would listen to the music, right? I, I, I got a meeting, uh, Jason, the other day where, where I almost panicked. I had to look for my phone, like where it is. So we went into the pandemic as a workforce that that, that behaved that way. And now we are all very used to looking at each other. We are talking from our home offices. Some days we are in the office. Uh, we are using high resolution video platforms like Zoom or Teams, Cisco, WebEx, et cetera. That has caused a whole rethinking of how the architecture, IT architecture has to work. And I'll tell you, Jason, a couple of things. Like we do dual tunneling now for video traffic that is already encrypted and goes directly so what do i mean by that for i don't need to bring that into my mtip circuit and 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 go through my data center right so why am i using my vpn capacity when the video is already cloud-based it's coming from microsoft zoom or any other provider and it's already encrypted So we have implemented uh, hundreds of such innovations over the last two to three years uh, to accommodate that hybrid uh, workforce, right? Uh, Another thing is now, even if 10 people, 20 people, 50 people are in the office, they're still sitting uh, uh, in their offices and and are on Zoom Zoom, uh, or, or Teams calls, right? What does that do to my internet capacity in the office? Now, I was dialing down my internet capacity, and now I have to suddenly ramp it up. Even for half the number of people who are in the office, I need much more capacity now, both in the buildings and off-site, right? So IT organizations like ours have had to completely revamp and re-engineer how we architect our solutions, and that's what we've done over the last few years. The other aspect of this is is investing in our people, right? So I have been very conscious to get uh, our IT folks trained and able and, and in in the newer technologies, uh, and that's why I'm I, I'm proud to say that we uh, actually allocate two thousand dollars per person per year for t- just as a training budget within OCIO, so that folks can go. And make sure that they are up to speed with all of these cloud technologies, video conferencing, new architectures, dual tunneling, wide area networks, et cetera, et cetera. And that's been uh, a part of the mantra to maintain the edge. Because at the end of the day, Jason, one day I realized that during my career, it's all about people. Uh, the damn laptop will do whatever I ask it to do, but we have uh, emotions and we we have skills, and 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 that's why it is so important for me and the entire leadership team at OCIO and the department uh, to make sure that we invest in our people as well.
0: I love the fact when you've talked about this $2,000 per person per year for training. So important. So many times we hear training is the first thing that gets cut when there's budget constrictions. So it's glad to hear that you all have made that as part of your day. Uh, Before I want to talk about people, I just want to take a half a step back. As you looked at this need for more capacity, more, more, uh, bandwidth, uh, does, does that, because of so much is in the cloud or because you had this hybrid work environment, not of people, but of, of technology, some in the data center, some in the cloud, and, and just to make it all kind of fit together, you needed some, if you will, you need more capacity, more compute.
1: So it's a, it's a bit of, uh, all of the above partly our applications are in the cloud. So the traffic is different, right? The traffic patterns are different. But our habits are different. I am not listening to music waiting for a leader code anymore, right? So I am going to 10 meetings in a a day, and all of those 10 are using high-definition video conference calls. Even if the video is bloody, I start getting calls like, what is going on? Secondly, even when we are in the office, We are hardly using in-person conferencing, uh, uh, conference rooms, right? So still a large number of people sit in their office, not even if they're comfortable being in the conference room, they they love the the fact that they're on their computer, they're multitasking, they are able to transition from one meeting to another uh, without losing much time. So our usage patterns and habits as employees have changed significantly across the 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 pandemic right so and that requires different levels of of internet capacity uh, for instance right different network architectures both the wide area as well as uh local
0: good you've been very obviously generous with your time and we've i've learned a lot but let's, let's just last a little bit here i want to go back to the people discussion what types of skill sets are you most in need of whether it's cyber program project management cloud architect and then how do you go about hiring there's been a big push Across the government for you know more diversity, equity, inclusion, accessibility, but also this idea that hey, I don't need to be at the Francis Perkins Center five days a week from nine to five. I could be in in California and come in once a month. Or th- that that has changed too.
1: So, Jason, I'm telling you, my best developer right now is in Las Vegas. He was a developer on slot machines in the gaming industry and would have never considered being a developer for the Department of Labor, except we started hiring nationally and we really changed and revamped the way we look at our workforce at the Department of Labor and and at CIO, right? So so what are the skill sets? Let me go back to that. I I, I would say cloud architecture, cloud engineering, but I think we just set up a, a new digital transformation team, right? So we, we've just hired a director of digital transformation. And that team is primarily focused on user-focused, user-centric design on some of the softer skills, right, of understanding what impact a certain digital technology would have on, on, on different areas. Uh, looking at our web infrastructure and um, drawing conclusions as to what part of the web infrastructure is getting traffic while others uh, is not doing research work to drive traffic towards certain areas and inform uh, programs as to w- what is happening on their websites right that's a, that's their face in many ways uh and transforming older legacy systems uh, to do business process re-engineering so that's all of that has uh, is a skill set or a skill area that the IT folks usually ignore to their own detriment. And we are not going to do that. That's why we have set up a whole digital transformation unit as well inside the Department of uh, Labor. And I will tell you, the national hiring has allowed us to be so competitive in the market. Another area I I would say that has allowed us to be very purposeful is to improve our DEIA. And we've been working on this long before the phrase was coined. I will tell you, Jason, the 20 10 series in the government, OPM numbers are, uh, there, there is anywhere between 23 to 26% women. We at OCIO, and we were in that ballpark when I came to labor. And through very purposeful efforts of me and my colleagues, we are 43% women in, in OCIO now. So we are 20 points higher than the rest of the government. And this is nothing to be, this is not something that will will survive if we don't feed it on a regular basis. And 43% is not to be something not to be proud of. I think it should be more 50-50. It should be reflective of what the what the population looks like, right? So and it's it's a it comes with a lot of effort. But the kind of benefits we reap out of that, I can't even explain, Jason, that the organization behaves so differently because we have a thought diversity, whether it's coming through gender, race, sexual orientation, or whatever, right? At the end of the day, I think that diverse uh, workforce is the mantra for the future.
0: Gundeep, I very much enjoyed our conversation. You have a lot of success at labor and you should be proud of it. And, and I hope uh, uh, sharing it with the rest of the government really keeps them motivated to uh, keep up with you. Let me thank my guest. Gundeep Alawalia is the chief information officer at the Labor Department. Gundeep, thank you as always so much uh, for taking the time.
1: Thank you, Jason. I I have to say, I cannot take all the credit. It is the people. It's a team sport, uh, including vendors and uh, uh, the employees uh, at the Labor Department and OCIO. But thank you for the opportunity. It's always a great uh, conversation.
0: My pleasure. I'm Jason Miller, and you've been listening to Ask the CIO, sponsored by PECSIP on Federal News Network. You've been listening to Ask the Chief Information Officer on Federal News Network. Tune in Thursday mornings at 10 or subscribe to this show on iTunes or Podcast One.